Welcome to the CJC Weekly Bible Study, where CJC stands for Complete Jesus Christ. If your perspective of Jesus is based only on teachings from the New Testament, then your understanding is incomplete. Regarding what we often call the Old Testament, Jesus himself said, These are the very scriptures that testify about me. So won't you join us today in our study where we esteem the Newer and the Older Testaments alike. I'm your host, Jeff Smith, and currently we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Genesis chapter 43. Genesis chapter 43. We're going to be resuming with uh, what we started the last time we got together. We started in verse 16 last time we got together, and, and we made it about halfway through the study that has to do with what we're calling a series of shocking events. A series of shocking events. And you've got those fill-in-the-blank things there, and they say the shocking details, right? Usually they say seeds of application. Because I'm not very good at telling you how to apply God's word, all right? So the best I have for you is a little tiny seed. All right, what the Spirit wants to do with it, let the Spirit water it in your life or, or let somebody else water it. It's up to God to give the increase. So it's up to one man to plant, another man to water, and I'm including women in this as well. All right, it's up to the men and the women of God to plant it, to water. It's up to God to give the increase. All I can give you are seeds of application. It's up to God to give you the actual application. But today, it doesn't say seeds of application. It says the shocking details. So those are the things that we're filling in there. And just by way of review a little bit what we looked at last week, this is when uh, the brothers came back with Benjamin. They brought Benjamin down. Joseph saw them. Joseph tells his steward, hey, take those guys over there and take them to my house. We're going to have a feast. So the guy goes to get them and brings them to Joseph's house. They get nervous. Oh, no. (laughs) We're found out. It's about the money in the sacks. And they pull the steward, the servant, aside, and they say, hey, just so you know, uh, there was this thing with the money, and we found it, but you know, we brought it back. We brought more money, and so they're trying to set the record straight before off with their heads is what they're thinking. They, mm-hmm. they think they're going to be made into slaves. They think their donkeys are going to be taken. They think that uh, it's going to be a bad day for them. And and the steward says, uh, you know what? Don't worry about it. I've actually got the money that you brought last time, which is really kind of strange. And you remember we talked about that, how sometimes we get gifts from people, and I told some stories about how we had groceries on our front doorstep one time, and we don't know who it was from, so we give credit to God. We're, it's like a gift from God. The steward said that God has given you your money back. So a lot of times, from our perspective, it looks like a gift from God when really it's human involvement going on behind the scenes so that we just don't get to see it. But as we are filling out those shocking details thing, number one was previously treated as spies and now invited to a royal banquet. Previously treated as spies and now invited to a royal banquet. And then when we got to verse 23, that's the part where the steward is answering them. He says, Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And you remember we talked about that verse a little bit. And we filled in the blanks for that second one. The second one being, A seemingly pagan Egyptian gives glory to the God of Israel. That was the second one that we had there that we were filling in. And then the third one, the third shock to these brothers, right? These brothers are going through several shocking things as they're going through this. Number three is the money issue isn't an issue. The money issue isn't an issue. They expected that that was going to be the big crux of the whole matter, and it turned out not to be. And then uh, you'll remember that when they 
came to Egypt, Dad said, okay, you know what, take some of the best of the land. You're going to give these as gifts to Pharaoh. So now what we saw when we left off is the brothers, 11 brothers minus Joseph. They don't know he's, he's their brother. The 11 are preparing their gift for Joseph. They know he's going to arrive. This guy that last time accused us of being spies, this guy that last time, you know, wanted to know if we were honest men, he gave us a test. It's been a long time since we came back, you know. We want to impress him, so we're presenting a gift. They're, they're presenting a gift to him, so they're getting the gift ready. And that was verse 25. Then they made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they would eat bread there. And one of the things that we talked about, just as uh, we're capping then what we're reviewing from last time, is when we talk about bread, it's not just going to be a loaf of bread, or it's not going to just be a banquet of bread. All right, that's a term that's used to encompass an entire meal, a feast, really. So if if you're going gluten-free, don't think that there wasn't something for you, all right, because there's plenty for everybody in this feast that is going to be prepared and, and presented. Verse 26, somebody mind reading verse 26. When Joseph came home, they, they brought him the present, which was in their hand into the house and bowed down before him to the earth. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. So here they are. They're bringing the present. They're bowing down to the earth. This is really common for people. In fact, in Egyptian art, you've got a lot of times a position, a person in a position of power being bowed down to, and you'll see it in, in the tombs. All right. And it's very common. Uh, in fact, it's interesting, the El Armana tablets from the 14th century BC, they each of them had a, a format. And the format included, it says here, a letter containing a greeting, Uh, followed by a set formula of honoring the Pharaoh by bowing seven times forward and backwards. And I don't know how you would do that. I haven't seen that on the Egyptian art, but okay, apparently bowing, you know, is a way to show respect. I don't know that I've seen any bowing backwards or whatnot. So um, just throwing that out out there for you to consider. Verse 27, somebody might read in that one. And he asked them about their well-being and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? Excellent. Thank you, Esther. Who's talking here? It's Joseph, right. So he's now come in, and he, it sounds like, is the one that initiates the conversation, other than, you know, the presentation of the gift, of course. And the first thing out of his mouth is he's asking about this old man that he was told about the last time they were there. What's the relationship between Joseph and the old man that he's asking about? It's his father. It's his dad. How's dad doing? Is dad still alive? Is he doing okay? But he can't say that yet, right? So he's got to couch it in the, I don't know who you are, I don't know your family, I don't know that guy, so I've got to make it look like I'm this, you know, austere official that has, you know, power over you guys, uh, but also is concerned about, you know, our conversation that we had last time and the other people in your family. So he asks about dad, is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? You know, I found it interesting as I was preparing for this study. I ran across, I mean, at first it sounds like it's just polite conversation, but Victor P. Hamilton added an additional element to this. He says, Joseph's question, is he still alive, is more than polite conversation. In times of natural catastrophes, the highest casualties are among the very young and very old. Has Jacob been able to tolerate the effects brought on by the famine? You remember the brothers have been gone for a while, and Joseph probably hoping for news of how dad is doing is delayed in getting that news. And so when they finally arrive, you know, this could be a bad thing. They took so long. Who knows? Maybe dad got sick. Maybe dad is not doing well. Maybe dad passed away since I last saw my brothers. Possibly he's thinking about that. So he asked about dad, how dad's doing. And then verse 28, somebody mind reading verse 28. They replied, your servant, our father, is still alive and well. And they bowed low to him to pay him honor. Excellent. Thank you, Mike. 
So that was probably quite a relief. You can imagine being in Joseph's position to finally get news that dad's still doing fine, or at least that's the report that they're receiving. Now, we know when we were looking at the relationship with dad and the, and the brothers, he was always complaining, you're going to bring my gray hair down to the, down to the grave. You know? And he was, it always sounded like he was getting ready to die. But here the report is that he's in good health, he's still alive, and to Joseph, I'm sure that was a relief to get that news. And they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. Turn to Genesis chapter 37, verses 5, we'll start in verse 5. Genesis chapter 37, we're going to start in verse 5. I'm taking you back a long time. This is over two decades before. And what do we have there? Now Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. (laughs) So they already hated him, and now they hate him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There, There we were binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. He's had a dream decades ago that his brothers would be bowing down to him. And here we find its fulfillment. We've seen it once before when they were visiting the last time, but it wasn't the same situation. This is a slightly different situation, which seems to be a better fit for the fulfillment of that earlier thing. And I'm sure it didn't escape Joseph's notice on this occasion. They didn't realize it. Because in the dream, it was clear that, hey, little brother Joseph is saying we're all going to bow to him. We're not bound to Joseph right now. We're bound to some official in Egypt, whoever this guy is. So they wouldn't have seen the connection. But I'm sure he did. And then verse 29. Verse 29. Somebody mind reading that one. As he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, he said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, May God be gracious to you, my son. Excellent. Thank you, Levette. So here you have the brothers are still bowing down to him. And then he spies Benjamin. He sees Benjamin. This is the first time he has seen Benjamin since he was sold as a slave by his brothers. Benjamin was a little tiny tot, (laughs) all right, when Joseph was sold as a slave. What was the name of the mom of Joseph? Rachel. Rachel. What was the name of the mom of Benjamin? Rachel. Rachel. How many sons did Rachel have? Two. Two. Only these two, Joseph and Benjamin. Were Joseph and Benjamin, either of them, the firstborn? Second? Third? No, fourth? Fifth? No, they were numbers 11 and 12. They were the runts. They were the- Joseph was the firstborn of Rachel. She, Joseph was the firstborn of Rachel. Good point, good point. As far as the family goes and all the brothers, lots of older brothers. Joseph was the baby for a while, dad's favorite son, and then Benjamin takes Joseph's place as dad's favorite son after Joseph is no more. So there's a, there's a kinship. There's a bond there because they are the sons of dad's favorite wife. And you remember that sordid affair. Oh, my goodness. With Leah, the whole trick. And oh, I didn't want to get married to her. I end up I want to get married to her. And oh, goodness. So that whole mess that was going on there. So here there's a special bond between Joseph and Benjamin. They're full brothers. Everybody else is a half-brother. All right. And then he says this strange thing. Now, look at it through the brother's eyes, right? They don't know it's Joseph. But Joseph, he puts his attention on Benjamin. And he ends up saying this, Is this your young brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. As a brother, as one of the older brothers, you would be kind of like, Whoa, what? This is weird. You didn't have to say that. 
why did you say that? What does that mean? What is that all about where you say, God be gracious to you, my son? And the word that we've got here behind the English is Elohim. That would be the name of the God of the people of Jacob and, and his family, not the people of Egypt. All right. So it's kind of interesting that we see that. So he's giving special honor here to Benjamin. He's singling him out and giving this special uh, blessing of sorts. Now, shock number four, then, if you want to fill in your blanks for that, this powerful Egyptian official powerfully honors Benjamin. Benjamin is probably in his early 20s right now. Joseph is probably uh, close to 40. And uh, they haven't seen each other, like I said, since, uh, well, at least 20 years. So Benjamin was a little tiny guy way back in the day. So now he's seeing them all grown up. He's seeing his little brother all grown up. Verse 30, somebody mind reading that one? Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. Excellent. Thank you, Cindy. Different versions have different words here. Uh, Some of them will say, now his heart yearned for his brother. That's New King James Version. The NIV, he was deeply moved. And the ESV, his compassion grew warm. This phrase or this combination of words here, as we're finding translated here, this phrase also appears in another place. When you want to talk about how much does that convey that the person feels for the other person, uh, there's another story where this phrase shows up, and it's two women. Two women, they're prostitutes, and uh, they show up in front of the king, a very wise king, King Solomon, and they come before the king, and one of them has a baby and the other one doesn't. And the one without the baby says to the king, Oh, king, please help. She has my baby. And the king's like, What's the story behind this? And she says, Well, we were both at home. We both have given birth recently. I had my baby. She had her baby. We went to bed. And in the middle of the night, she rolled over and smothered her baby, killed her baby. But she switched babies with me. And she took my living baby to herself, and she put the dead baby in my arms. And then I didn't know that she had done the switch. I thought it was my baby that was dead until the morning came. And I saw that, no, this baby that I'm holding, this dead baby, wasn't mine. It was the other woman's. And she has my baby. Right? And then the other woman is allowed to speak, and she goes, no, 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 that's not how it happened. This is my baby. The dead one's yours. And the king says to his servant, calls over one of his servants, who soldiers, if you want to picture a soldier with a sword, and says, you know, she says it's hers, she says it's hers. All right, tell you what we're going to do. Go ahead and take that baby and cut it in two and give each of the women half the baby. <laughs> you and I go, that's not going to solve anything, right? So before that happens, of course, the mom, the true mom of that living baby, that living baby who's in the hands of a wretched woman who would be so deceitful, that mom, her heart grows warm for her child. That same phrase that we're seeing here. And she says, no, don't kill the baby. Let her have it. And the other woman, at the same time, basically says, ah, cut it in two. If I can't have it, then nobody can. You know, that kind of thing. And Solomon says, okay, we got to figure it out. Take the living baby, give it to that. That's the real mom. And everybody's like, wow. Smart king, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. He's got wisdom from God. You better be smart if you've got wisdom from God. But that phrase where that mom is calling out for her child, no, 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 don't kill the baby. Just let the baby be raised by that woman, and I'm fine with it. It's that kind of attachment that we find in that phrase that we see here, Joseph toward Benjamin. All right, so kind of neat there. It's also the same phrase that's used in Hosea chapter 11, verse 8. God for his people. God for Israel. The same phrase, that strong bond, that attachment. 
that you see there. You also see here in this verse what happens. Joseph can't control himself. He can't contain himself. He needs to go and run and, and find somewhere to cry outside of their presence. Because you might want to look austere. You might want to look strong. But if you need to weep, you can't break down right now. You know, it's not the right time. So he runs off and finds a place to cry. Kenneth Matthews points out that the Joseph narrative often depicts Joseph weeping when restored to his family. And then it gives lots of references of places you can go where Joseph was weeping. And he goes so far as to say if Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet, which most of you have probably heard that before, Jeremiah the weeping prophet, then he says then Joseph is the weeping patriarch. He's ready to cry a lot of times. And so here he is. He's crying in behind the scenes. I'm sure the brothers are probably thinking, where'd he go? <laughs> what happened to him? Well, the servants are here, but where did Joseph go? So Joseph goes off to cry, and he's going to try to get a hold of himself. While he's crying, we're going to look at something over here that J. Vernon McGee says. He says regarding this situation that we see right here, he says, This is a marvelous, wonderful picture of something that is yet to be fulfilled. I hope that you will see this. The prophet Zechariah tells us that Jesus Christ is going to make himself known unto his brethren someday. They are going to ask him about the piercing of his side and the nail prints in his hands. He is going to say to them in that day, These I received in the house of my friends. Then they will recognize him and they will weep. He is the one who has provided salvation for them. He is the one who gave his life for their redemption. This is going to take place when the Lord Jesus comes back to earth. He will be revealed to his brethren, the nation Israel. There will be a remnant there who will know him. Many of his brethren did not believe on him when he came the first time, but at that time they are going to know him. Likewise, the brothers of Joseph are the ones who delivered him into slavery. They sold him, got rid of him, but now he is going to make himself known to his brethren. Someday our Lord Jesus is going to do just that. We're not going to see it this week where he reveals himself to his brethren. We'll probably get to it next week, perhaps the week after. But that's what we're building up to. So here you have Joseph and he's weeping. You know, it of course reminds us. And as J. Vernon McGee is talking there about Jesus, we can't help, I can't help but think of that verse where uh, my kids love to memorize this verse. You know, it's John eleven thirty five, and it's Jesus wept. I mean, when, when you have Sunday school kids, you know, and you're like, okay, memorize the Bible verse and I'll give you a candy bar. You know what? They all go to this one. Where's that one that has Jesus wept? They all know that one and they bring it. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. Yeah, because it's a really short verse. It's not the shortest in the Greek, but it's the shortest in the English that Jesus wept. And the place where that occurs, you see Jesus, and he he receives news that his really good friend Lazarus is 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 dying, and he's concerned, but he doesn't go right away. He's two miles away. Two. And you could walk from here. Two miles away is the twenty two freeway. You can see the cars going by. It's really close. That's how close he is. He could go right away. He doesn't. He delays in going there. And by the time he goes, Lazarus is dead. And Martha, you remember those two sisters, Mary and Martha. Martha comes running out. Oh, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus says, you know what, Martha, you know, he's going to live again. Yeah, 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 I got it. And she, she runs off. And then Mary comes, and Mary bows at his feet, and she's crying. And she says, Lord, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And it says that he sees Mary, and she's crying. He sees the, the crowds that are following Mary, and they're crying. And it's at that point where it says Jesus wept. And you find that the relationship that Jesus had with with Lazarus was a really strong, tight relationship. This wasn't just an acquaintance. This was a family he spent a lot of time with. There's another place where Jesus wept that I want to draw your attention to. This is, you picture the triumphal entry. The triumphal entry is near the end of his life, the end of his, his earthly ministry. And it's basically a celebration for all intents and purposes. Here comes our king! Is, is kind of what the occasion's all about. And as festive as it should be, 
Jesus ends up crying. And it seems like a powerful, somber moment for him. And it says in Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 44, Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this, your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you, and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. He weeps over them because they didn't realize how momentous that moment was how significant that moment was. He holds them accountable for not recognizing the significance of the moment, of their visitation, of Jesus being there among them. And all that was going on. I don't think we are in any better place where we can say, well, he's not going to hold me accountable for not recognizing the time. No, I think if he holds them accountable, he's going to hold us accountable too. If we don't make the most of the moments that we have here on this earth. If we think, you know what, I'm just going to kick back in the spiritual lazy boy. And I'm, I'm just going to wait for God to come back and take me away. And until that happens, I'm not going to be engaged in anything that he might ask me to do. Because for goodness sakes, he can have anybody do those things. As long as I'm saved, that's all that really counts. And a lot of people would think that. But no, he wants us to recognize the significance of this moment, each moment that we have on this earth, and to be busy. Be busy for him, doing for him what we can to see that others come to the knowledge of of his grace, come to the knowledge of his sacrifice. They They were ready for a king, but when it comes to being a servant or sacrificing they're like, what no no we're not interested <laughs> moving on from there genesis chapter 43 verse 31 genesis 43 31 somebody mind reading that one after he washed his face he came out and controlling himself said serve the food excellent thank you mike so he washed his face we still do that too right when you cry and you gotta i gotta make this i gotta make this look like i'm not crying you go wash your face right what <laughs> they've been doing this for thousands of years apparently he washed his face he came out he restrained himself and said serve the bread serve the food there again the bread meaning or being inclusive of the entire feast and isn't it interesting here i've i've got for myself uh, john six thirty five as a notation here and jesus said to them i am the bread of life he who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. You know, as Joseph came out and he's saying, serve the bread, and the bread is indi- indicative of everything you need to sustain you in this feast, right? It, it, it's for everything. What is Jesus? When he says, I'm the bread, he's saying, I'm everything you need. <laughs> all right? It's not just the gluten stuff. All right? It's everything you need. All right? He's provided himself as the bread of life. Verse 32. Somebody mind reading that one. So they set him a place by himself, and then by themselves... The Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. All right, thank you, Mike. An abomination to the Egyptians. So I want you to give this picture here, the setting, the table setting, all right? So here you've got, it sounds like, and we're going to find out as we continue reading, there's going to be a table, and there's going to be 11 place settings there. That's for the brothers. There's going to be Joseph off by himself. He's an official, and he's an Egyptian, so he's going to be separated from them at another table by himself. And then you've got the servants. It wouldn't be appropriate for the servants that are Egyptian to eat with Joseph because of his high rank, but it's also not appropriate for the Egyptians to eat with the Hebrews, so they're not going to be at the table with the 11. So you've got three tables all right so you've got uh, if they're even using tables and back then sometimes they uh, they had uh, a posture that was basically laying down but anyway we like tables so i'm i'm saying picture tables so you've got a table for 11 a table for one you got another table for the servants they're all together in this room 
eating the meals all together, but all apart. It's kind of strange, if you can imagine that. By the way, when it says there, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians, the wording there is so strong that it indicates strongest revulsion, something that might cause physical illness. So imagine for these Egyptians to be eating with the Hebrews, and if the revulsion is that strong, you're thinking, you know, you're trying to eat your food while you're... And it's, there's speculation as to what's, what's going on there. What is it that's so revulsive? Is that the right? Revolting. And what is it that's so repulsive? Thank you. I combined two words. That's where they are. It's so revolting. What is it that's so revolting about them? And so one of the, one of the commentaries I read says this, the Egyptians considered all other people barbarians. They would not associate with them directly by eating at the same table. Joseph's meal was also separated from both the Egyptians and the sons of Jacob because of his high rank. Okay, it answers part of it. They consider everybody barbarians, but is is there anything more specific? Well, the New King James Study Bible notes say that it may be due to this, that the Egyptians might have been repulsed by bodily hair. <laughs> Interesting. All right. I didn't know that. Uh, apparently you got to shave before you go eat with somebody that's an Egyptian back then or something. Uh, so I guess beards it might be a problem. Long hair might be a problem. Chest hair, I don't know. Uh, but that's just what I found as we were looking through this. Verse 33. Somebody might read in verse 33. The men had been sitting before him in the order of their ages, from the firstborn to the youngest, and they look at each other in an astonishment. All right, astonishment. Thank you, Lupita. Here we go. So here's shock number five. The 11 brothers are seated according to their order of their birth. So if you're filling those in, it's that next one. Number five, the 11 brothers are seated according to their order of their birth. So I want you to picture that table. It had 11 place settings. Apparently they had little name tags or something uh, that indicate who's to sit where. And the strange thing is, if you're one of these 11, right, this guy doesn't know me from Adam. How does he know what our birth order is, right? Because there wasn't that wasn't part of the quiz. <laughs> he didn't ask him. Oh, by the way, uh, who who's firstborn? You sit there. Who's second? No, there was no there was no poll. They find out that they're supposed to sit in their order of birth. All right. So I, you know me. I like numbers. I like math. I like statistics. So we're gonna do a little statistics. All right. So I want you to I want you to start by picturing two dice. Right. Two die. Two die. I want you to picture two die. All right. One through six. Six sided. All right. So if one of them's a let's say a one. And you're to take that other one, and you're to roll it, and in one try, you want to match the one. All right? You got that? Mm -hmm. So what is your chances of rolling something, rolling a one, to match the one on the other one? One in six. six. Exactly. So you have a one in six chance of making that second die match the first die. All right? Any Yahtzee players in here? You like Yahtzee? All right. Mm -hmm. So now, picture the two die, and you got to get two ones, but you're rolling both of them. Is it still one in six? No, it's not. Now it's one in six times one in six. What is that? Eighty-four. Nope. Six times six. Thirty-six. Thirty-six. So one in six times one in six is thirty-six. So there's a one chance in thirty-six. You can roll both of those dice and get those two ones. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. You get in the statistics. Mm-hmm. So every time you add a level, you multiply the statistics. All right. So how many brothers are there? Eleven, eleven brothers. All right. So you've got eleven brothers. What's your chance that you're going to pick the firstborn out of a group of 11? It's 1 in 11, right? All right. So 1 in 11. What's your chance then now that you've, let's say you did it. Let's say you got the, hey, he did it. He guessed right on the first one. How many brothers are left? 10. 10. All right. What's your chance of getting the second born out of that group of 10? 1 in 10. 1 in 10. Good. And what's the next one going to be? 9. 9, right? 
What's the next one going to be? Hey, what's the next one going to be? You, you, you're getting this, right? Somebody somebody, get your phone out and let's start doing some calculations. All right? I want to see what number this is. Oh, boy. Okay? And the last one's a gimme. It's going to be one. It's one chance and one. It doesn't matter because at the end when you multiply it all together, you're going to get you know, the same answer because it's times one. What is your What is your phone? I've got some calculators going. <laughs> Anybody want to guess? Oh. 39916800. His chance of getting him in the right order. Of course, the lotto. Yeah. Just on his first try, if he doesn't know them. Yeah, granted, he's, he knows who they are. So we're all in on this joke, right? <laughs> but they're not. Yeah, 39 million, almost 40 million. One chance in 40 million that he would get them in the exact right order. I don't know if the brothers did the math, but I'm sure they were still impressed, <laughs> right? Because, hey, wow, this guy got us all in the same order. But when you do the math, I'm even more impressed. One in, a, in 40 million, that's crazy. So uh, that's got to be a shock, I'm thinking. So that, like I said, it's shock number five. The 11 brothers are seated according to their order, or according to the order of their birth. About one in 40 million. Like I said, we're all in on the joke. Because we know Joseph. We know, who's, we know who's the Egyptian guy. He's actually Joseph, all right? Moving on from there. Verse 34. Somebody might remember that one. And he took servings to them from before him, but Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. <laughs> so they drank and were married with him. Excellent. Thank you, Esther. So back then, you could honor somebody in this setting, in this type of setting, if you, as an official, if somebody, a high rank that is throwing the feast, if you want to honor somebody in your presence, there were a couple ways you could do that. One is you could take, like, a choice something or other off of your plate. Like, hey, let's take the turkey, let's take the turkey leg and give it to that guy over there, you know? And that was one way you could honor somebody, is you would give them something special off of your plate. Or you could order that something be taken to them that not necessarily off your plate. And traditionally or typically, it might be a double portion. All right. So if everybody gets a plate of food, then that person would get two plates of food. All right. So everybody else would recognize, oh, that person is receiving special honor right now. The youngest, Benjamin, is getting special honor. Is his a double portion? What is he getting? He's getting five times as much. But Joseph is not being subtle here. All right? He is really pouring it on thick. And we're going to see there's a method to his madness. He's actually doing this on purpose. Because what is that going to do? In Joseph's mind, he doesn't know if these older brothers are the same characters that mistreated him. If anything's changed in their life or not. He's giving them reason to look at Benjamin in a different light. He's giving them reason to despise Benjamin. He's giving them a reason so that when it's time to, for them to go on their way home, oh boy, you know what? You know, if we get rid of Benjamin, then our lives will be even better, like we got rid of Joseph. In Joseph's mind, he's concerned about his brother, but he's also concerned about how they're going to treat him, and he wants to, he wants to squeeze him a little bit. All right? So he's, he's not only honoring Benjamin, he's also squeezing the older brothers a little bit because he wants to see what's going to come out. It's like, uh, have you ever heard that phrase, that we're like sponges, and you don't know what's in you until you get squeezed? You ever heard that? Right? And so uh, he's, he's putting a little squeeze on for them. Uh, when you see that in Verse 34, if you've got King James Version, King James is kind of funny when you read uh, this particular verse there. In the King James, it says this, 
And he took and sent messes unto them from before him. But Benjamin's mess was five times so much as theirs. <laughs> so it, it's a different word. Back then, you know, that's 400-year-old language that they're using back then. But it's just funny to see. It's talking about messes when it's servings. All right. And then what do we have here? Uh, shock number six. You've got, if you're filling in the blanks, five times the honor is bestowed upon Benjamin. Five times the honor is bestowed upon Benjamin. And then I want you to consider for a second as well, what has been their eating situation before this meal lately? It's been a famine. How about that for a shocker? You come from home with not much left to eat, and your concern is, am I going to get through this ordeal and bring back food? Because you're living through a famine. So what's the shock? They were previously close to starvation. They now enjoy an unexpected feast. Seven shockers for these brothers. Seven shockers for them since they've arrived in Egypt. I'm sure this has jolted them a little bit and probably prepared them somewhat to recognize that maybe God's hand is involved in all the goings on of our lives. Even though we would say, yeah, but we know Joseph's actually involved. We know he knows what's going on. We know, you know, we know the situation. Yeah, granted, you do. Just as the angels would be looking down on your situation and they know all the inside jokes. And we sit there going, I don't know how this is going to turn out. My life is one shock after another. (laughs) And the angels are in on it going, yeah, but he told us the plan. (laughs) I'm not saying that's actually what's going on behind the scenes. But, you know, I'm trying to provide some loose illustration there. What would I say to this? Let's wrap it up with this. Uh, J. Vernon McGee says this. He just could not refrain from showing his affection for his own brother Benjamin so that he gave him five times as much. Now that young man had been through a famine, and this was his first real meal for a long time. And they drank and were merry with him. It was a glorious affair, and what a wonderful day it will be when Joseph finally reveals himself to his brethren. And then I've got noted in my own handwriting. And so will it also be when Jesus reveals himself to his people at his second coming, which could be any day now. With that, let's go ahead and close Mm -hmm. in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the banquet that we look forward to having with you, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And Lord, we don't know when you're coming back for us, but we know that in the meantime, you're making preparations and everything is coming together where we're going to see your word yet again fulfilled. Lord, when you speak, and declare something is going to happen, it does every time. You're batting a thousand. And we can trust that those things that are yet to be fulfilled will fall into place at the right time. Help us, Lord, to make the most of these moments that we have here on this earth as we're waiting for the culmination of all things. Lord, your word says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And we we bow ourselves to you and say, Lord, Jeremiah, send me. We're willing to be harvesters. Have your way with us. Help us to be useful in your hands. Help us to make the most of our time. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. You guys have a great week.